0: It is a real strategic investment that needs to bring value back into our business and our organization.
1: You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Jenna Kuro, Vice President of Startup Partner Development and Head of Sports Tech at Comcast. In this role, she oversees partner relations and resource management of the new Comcast Sports Tech Accelerator. This is a multi-stage accelerator focused on developing and investing in the world's next great sports technologies she also oversees the farm and innovation hub supporting early stage startup founders they've just announced the inaugural cohort of 10 companies and we're delighted to have jenna on the show to share more as always you can get in touch with me uh, after the show if you've got any comments or kind of feedback uh, great to hear from our audience thomas loams on linkedin or thomas at sportstechworldseries.com also if you're interested in uh, learning more about our consulting research and advisory work always looking to find out ways that we can help uh, sports tech companies both large and small from startup to multinational level uh, and also teams and leagues really integrate technology and in what they're doing so Really interesting chat with Jenna, applaud what they're doing at Comcast, uh, obviously with their properties, Comcast Cable, NBC Universal, Sky Sports, and all their uh, partners, including Olympic Sports. They are really having a genuine impact in the industry. So here it is, over to Jenna. Jenna Karath, uh Vice President of Startup Partner Development, Head of Sports Tech at Comcast. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: So... Can you give me an overview of Comcast Sports Tech? Uh, just, I mean, people would be familiar with it. I think everyone kind of is in the industry, especially um, considering some of the big names that you've got bringing in partners, and then also obviously Comcast, NBC, Universal. But what's the actual accelerator program look like?
0: So Comcast Sports Tech is all about investing in and developing the next great sports technologies. And so obviously our connection to sports runs really deep. If you look just at Team USA and our support there and the investment we made in the Olympics rights, $7.6 billion to bring those stories to life. That carries us through 2032 and who knows how we're going to be watching the Olympics 10 years from now, or 12 years from now, I guess, Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to have to be this major media event that makes that investment make sense. So our connection to sports runs really, really deep. Um, This is an opportunity for us to work with startups, get that early lens of um, what's happening out there to shape the future of sports. And we do that definitely through partnership. We have obviously NBC Sports and Sky Sports and Golf Channel as part of our portfolio. But equally important, we wanted this to not just be an innovation engine um, for our business, but also for the broader industry as a whole to um, create more of those those products and solutions and fan experiences that span. And so we brought in NASCAR and three Olympic teams to really broaden that value.
1: Yeah. And so how are those industry partners uh, chosen? Because obviously, I mean, as you said, across the Olympic um, movement, there's, there's certainly a lot of different teams and a lot of um, different avenues that, that could have taken. And then something like um, NASCAR as well is, is an interesting sports property, but how the, those particular ones, and maybe just run through who those partners are uh, exactly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it really started with the Olympics. Um, it was a question to ourselves, how can we lean in a little bit more? We're a technology, media and sports company. Um, the Olympics is our innovation playground, if you will. It's where we really bring those stories to life um, through X1, um, our entertainment uh, operating system in the living room, to the voice remote that allows you to like drop right into women's floor um, for gymnastics, if that's your passion and your love. Uh, so it was also brought to our attention, too, by the USOPC that they have an innovation gap, um, that other countries would sort of come and look at at the USA in terms of, Uh, medical rehabilitation, um, amazing facilities and training um, facilities for our our athletes. But when it came to True Tech, that was helping athletes get every advantage on their path to the podium, there was a gap there. And so they put out the challenge, what ideas you have as big companies and brands and presented out eight gap areas. And one of our solutions was, hey, let us stand up an innovation engine. We know how to do this. We run accelerators. We work with startups in a strategic way to help improve our products, our solutions, let us do this for the Olympics and let it run before, during and after the Olympics. And um, that got us down this journey of spending a lot of time with our three Olympic partners. So USA ski and snowboard is an example. What are the unique and innovative challenges and? In, um, and problems we're solving that are going to help our team USA athletes there. That looks entirely different from USA swimming. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, uh, tech, when it's immersed in water, that's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. And same thing for cycling. That is such a um, technology-driven sport. There's so many interesting things happening. Um, and that one, from a virtual standpoint too, that allows us to, you know, do our Peloton and our Zwift workouts from home. So a really intensive um, tech-driven sport in and of itself so those were three natural ones but the other reason it was really natural is because if you look at USA swimming and USA ski and snowboard it's also where our Xfinity marketing team doubles down and does um, strategic sponsorship investments with those teams and does activations to um, help our Xfinity brand and bring in new customers um, through events and things like that from from that side of it so we have deep relationships there and it just made a lot of sense that those were the teams that had you know a fan base um, tech driven sports um, yeah. all that makes sense and then if you look at NASCAR which is our other external sports partner we um, we have a ten-year title sponsorship uh, so um. I think we're in year six now of that. And we also doubled down on that too for the Xfinity series and um, as part of the NASCAR Cup series. And we broadcast the back half of the season itself. So if you look at all of these partners it's really built intentionally off of media rights that we have, sponsorship investments that we've made and deep relationships where we know they're gonna play well together in the sandbox.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think it's really interesting. about the, I guess, getting the ROI from an investment point of view on media rights. It's going, well, how do we engage our audience through innovation? Um, but at the same time, it's helping those partners. How do they make their product, which is athletic performance, how do you make that better? Because obviously Team USA and, and whatever it is, if you're a Team USA fan, seeing them win more gold is going to be so much more um, you know, appealing as a, as a media product um, and seeing someone crash out in the first round of, you know, whatever else it is like ski across or something like that. So yeah, really interesting. And, and um, uh, Troy Taylor from US Ski and Snowboard. So uh, he was on the show uh, last year, I think it was. Um, and really interesting, their challenges, like as a unique sport of, or even something like broadcast or using um, athlete tracking, how do you do that halfway up a mountain um, mm-hmm. when there's no phone reception? and it's freezing and it's snowing sideways. So it's like the unique things about sports. And then something like swimming, um, myself coming from a swimming background, one of the hardest things is attaching tech or using tech that doesn't interrupt the athlete. So things that, you know, you you, you can't really just chuck a whole bunch of wearables because that's going to ad- adjust how they move, how they move through the water, you know, the fluid dynamics of it, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's it's a pretty segue.
0: You mentioned troy actually um so troy taylor uh, we c- almost call him like the godfather of sports tech because he was so generous in helping us really understand the problems we're solving and he actually came in and did a two-week sprint with us um, because of technology that he's lo- looking at specific to your point that on um, certain athletes they don't want anything else on their body or it's not allowed in competition it's in very different scenario when you have technology that sits on the boot that can help you kind of navigate Um, your trajectory and and efficiency down the hill um, with so many other challenges that they have to do. And so we brought him in to really, and his team to really dive deep on that. And it was pretty incredible learnings that I think that they walked out there in terms of, is and even challenging themselves to ask the question, if we built something, does it have a commercial play later on that also delivers interesting insights for um, skiers out on the slopes as
1: well? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely in in the way that you can, I mean, there's limitations in, in camera systems, there's uh, limitations of wearables, at least on the athletic performance for different reasons. Camera systems, if you've got someone who's in, you know, movement, baggy clothes, whatever that is, you can't do it. But then um, obviously a wearable under, you know, under ski clothes or on goggles as well is, was one thing as well. They're doing some interesting stuff with um, virtual reality um, because yeah. it's, it's in a context where you wear, you wear big goggles, so that makes sense rather than trying to apply that to, um say I know cycling or even swimming where it's like you're not as used to that so um I I was going to say around the swimming point that uh I know one of the cohort companies is is actually focused on swimming so that's probably a good point to jump across and um get you introduced the the 10 I think it is 10 Uh, companies that you've taken in your inaugural cohort
0: Absolutely, um, and I'll, as I kind of take you through the 10, I'll also give you a little bit of insight into how we did the selections process. Yeah. Our board partners were very involved <laughs> from day one in that process. Uh, because we got a thousand applications, I mean, it's no surprise if you're going to bump up that many um, sports brands together. It's going to be the beacon to draw a lot of startups to want to work with them as advisors to help guide their business. So we got a thousand applications, and we had to get that down to ten. So our um, deal flow team did a lot of the due diligence of really understanding the market, did they have IP protection, all of those pieces. That got us down to the top fifty. And then we went through a very selective process with all of our sports partners weighing in, qualitative and quantitative. Would this make an impact on your industry? Would this make an impact on your business? Would you wanna be a mentor? At the end of the day, would they really wanna be through this journey with them as advisors throughout the program? And um, so we, I think we had a little over 600 uh, reviews in total, 90 plus people across our organization and our sports partners that weighed in that got us down to the top 22. And then we went through the selections process where we, we went in and interviewed each of the founders. So as they came in, the sports partners that were most relevant um, for their business, they were right there with us asking all the tough questions, yeah. um, knowing what's really feasible, whats what isn't, um, wouldn't work in the, um, in the problems and, and innovation areas they wanted to solve for. And at the end of the day, you're investing as much in the founders, if not more than the technology or the products. Are they coachable? Are they really going to lean into the the three-month program? So when it came to, um, which is I should probably point out to the other aspect of that, which is we have eight strategic investment areas. And so for uh, USA Swimming or Ski and Snowboard, obviously athlete and player performance matters to them, team and coach success. Um, Whereas if you look at NBC Sports, they're really anchored in on media and entertainment and um, fantasy and sports betting. So we had to also try to tr- um, select startups that fit as many of the innovation priorities of our partners as possible and, um, and make sure that at the end of the day, it was a strategic fit. So um, on a swim is the interesting one, right? It's obviously 100% anchored to USA um, swimming. Now, the interesting thing is how they're using technology to address um, a, a fact within the um, that we deal with, which is the high drowning rates um, of, in our Black communities. So, 64% of Black children do not know how to swim. Um, and Trish, the founder and CEO of Ani Swim, almost died at 19 years old. So, she's really going this interesting path of technology and, um, and textile science to create a swim cap that eliminates that barrier. Um, and it's an interesting way for USA cycling or USA swimming, I should say, um, to address what is um, not a diverse enough sport. And they're doing so much in that space. Now, what was pretty fascinating there was, uh, you know, swim cap for minority hair, um, didn't seem like that was necessarily gonna be something that was going to resonate for NBC's sports production team. However, that's the one they were like, tell us more about this one and started asking us a ton of questions when we were going through our innovation discovery session with them. And that's because that's also the creative team that's going in and creating the storylines for the Team USA hopefuls that are going back to defend the gold. And so for Simone Manuel, this is an ideal fit. It's it's absolutely one of the reasons why she almost didn't stay in the sport because there mm-hmm. weren't others that looked like her.
1: Yeah, so that's yeah. A really I, mean, I mean, that's something that it's maybe not necessarily obvious to the idea of sports technology and like peak performance and, and, and improving that. But if you're broadening your talent pool and for whatever reason, you know, unconscious bias in the industry and the way that, that things are developed, um, you, know, it's, you make things for people that look like you or, you know, from the same background as you all that kind of stuff and don't necessarily question um, the other groups of people in the world, um, you're really restricting your talent. In yeah, sense yeah. of like, you know, just for for something that is 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 so overlooked. But really, if you can say, well, the bottom of that pyramid, um, if you can make that bigger, well, then the results at the top are going to be better over the years
0: exactly and for each of our um, founding teams coming into the program we align them with a sports partner advisor and this is uh, somebody from our sports consortium Um, it's really to help them understand the nuances of the sport eliminate assumptions in the business because at the end of the day um, it's that's to do what an accelerator is intended to do which is how do you compress years worth of learning into that three-month program to really accelerate their path to a revenue sustainable company And so for um, the obvious fit here is the sports partner advisors, Jim Fox with USA Swimming. And so um, he is right there with her, but then we also have external startup um, subject matter experts and advisors. So these are people who have successfully built startups and sold them or they are so entrenched in the industry. And so we have her paired um, with a 25 plus um, sales retail, Uh, monetization expert from Nike as well. So um, very intentional in how we we, um, pair them up with our sports partners as well. The next one I'll talk about is dibs. So if you've ever been at an event and you look over and think, "Ah, I wish I had that seat over there, they have created this technology that allows you to instantly upgrade through text message. So huge um, applicable use cases for us on that front. If you look at our Comcast Spectacore business, um, we've got the flyers, we've got um, uh, we've got Spectacore owns the Wells Fargo Center, Xfinity Live. So we have um, that team paired up with Samab, who is with Comcast Spectacore, because it really just unlocks a lot of data insights on seat demand, instant gratification, pricing, all of those types of things, and also an understanding too of of it's great to have the season ticket holders, but it's even better to make sure the season ticket holders are going. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. if because of all the other monetization that happens when you get your your nachos and your drink while you're there. So it's just really rich data insights and an ability to create a a really unique fan experience in the stadium. So the next one is Eon Media. So they're really tackling live streaming um, with zero latency so that they can deliver this complete workflow So if you look at the back end of this, um, there's a potential cost savings for our business in a tremendous way, just in terms of how do we we store, process, transcode, all of the video content coming in from a streaming standpoint. And then they also have this really interesting technology, metadata technology that allows for being able to identify logos, um, those types of dynamic things that help you uh, organize all of this content um, in a really seamless way. And if you play that out, that's using AI and ML for just really targeted and personalized sports highlights and recaps. Um, And that real-time metadata extraction is huge. And then if you add cost savings on top of that, I mean, that is a um, a huge portion of our video-centric part of our business.
1: Yeah, and definitely coming out of the pandemic where um, remote production, automated production is the kind of potential of that has been unlocked thanks to the pandemic and it's something that's gonna stick around into the future. And when you bring bring things like 5G online as well, um, the ability to do a lot of stuff, automated, remote, in the cloud, all that kind of stuff um, is, yeah, is exponentially uh, increasing.
0: Exactly. Um, and, w- and the interesting thing is when we brought them in through the selections process, um, there was interest in um, our Comcast business side of the house through our Comcast Labs team. So they were already down the path of scoping out a proof of concept on that side. So we kept them paired with, um, with Comcast Labs on that front. So. The next one I'll talk about is Global M so they also are in this professional streaming solution space but they're also focused on how do you bring in um, media outlets broadcasters and citizen journalism or influencer journalism so taking that 3.5 billion smartphones that are in our hands and bringing that into a streaming media platform in a way that can be can facilitate remote production high quality low latency um, whether it's a Production grade camera, or turning that smartphone into a production grade camera as well. Uh, that is particularly interesting for our um, our TV stations and our regional sports networks as well. Um, and the ability and you talked about it of production fundamentally changing. It's going to be a hybrid production world. Um, there were a lot of cost efficiencies that came with learning how do you um, how do you still cover a great tournament when you can only have you know eight production people instead of the typical crew of 40 to 50. But what this unlocks is now you can suddenly bring in more support and coverage for things like collegiate golf. Um, some of the other um, up and coming sports that just aren't gonna necessarily have um, the resources uh, that you would put behind you know, covering an NFL game
1: as mm-hmm. an example. Yeah, I mean, and just by the, the inherent nature of certain sports, we had Michael Cole, the CTO of the European Tour and Ryder Cup, talk about that. If you have a, you know, eighteen holes on a golf course and a rotating groups um, going round over a tournament, like that's a that's a lot of content to try and cover, and and to traditional production just just really falls down a lot when you're trying to cover things like that. And then you say, well, you know, that's the elite level. What about something like collegiate sports? How do you still make sure that Uh, those athletes and that sport uh, is getting the coverage they deserve and connecting with that fan base that actually still really want to, want to see what's going on.
0: Actually, you reminded me of something really important too, is the power of when you start to follow um, and build a fan base around the up and coming golfers in the collegiate space um, who are going to be the next Rory McIlroy is the next um, Tiger Woods. That is also incredibly important for our golf um, our golf channel side of the business mm-hmm. as well. It is really about giving them reasons to root for um, all the way through their journey. So you've, you're building up a lot of that um, fan base from day one.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that's gonna increase as well with um, changes in name image likeness. And yeah. something that we're seeing um, the pandemics accelerated because state legislators are going well, we've got to differentiate our, kind of our colleges, our institutions something like his likeness if they can change the laws um, at a state level then that is a huge recruiting boost for these institutions like why would i go to this state if the neighboring state allows me to earn some sort of living from me building my profile and a sport like golf, where it is about the individual athlete um and and as you said that social media following that kind of connection collegiate sports is where they build their profile it's not it's not when they turn pro it's in college is where they really start to build that following.
0: Absolutely. And we have that that team paired up with Laura Dennis, who is our SVP of digital media for our owned TV stations and RSN, so um, well-placed there. Um, InVenue is the next one that I'll talk about. This is an incredibly um, experienced smart team that is tackling real-time predictive analytics really designed around fan engagement. So um, using this incredible prism machine that get really diverse, powerful play-by-play predictions before the next play. And so what it allows for is just this really deep, immersive understanding of the nuances of a sport, um, but it also can span everything up to the fanatic fan, who is going to be placing sports bets and wants to have every sort of layer of additional insight in um, the bets that that they're playing. But then as you bring in new fans, how do you make it interesting and enticing to help somebody have the context of understanding like the magnitude of the play that that is about to happen and create some sort of interactivity around that. So their approach is really um, B2B, so working with, with, broadcasters like us to deliver that via an API to bring those experiences into the places where our viewers are today and create incredible um, fan engagement and interactivity opportunities. So that's a really exciting one. And they are connected in with uh, Steve McElwee who's a CTO of NBC Sports. So again, um, a great strategic pairing for them there. Um, The next one is Safety Skin. So they've just developed this, Reflective skin product that I actually use. So if you're out running in low light conditions, you can actually put this on. It's for cyclists, runners to really allow for you to be seen um, by cars and 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 all of those things. And for them, it's it's an important aspect of what USA Cycling is focused on, which is mm-hmm. really helping the up and coming youth. Um, really, you know, don't just get on bikes, stay on bikes, have fun on bikes, build up that. Um, uh, that all the kids that, that are the future cyclists for the sport, um, but do it in a safe way too. So um, a lot of that is around safety campaigns. And so we have um, that team paired directly with Corey DeBow which is um, he's on the sports performance and BMX team is there there as well. So, and they're, they're already selling the product today as I mentioned, I use it in those low light conditions when I'm out running early in the morning but they're really looking to expand Their business line and to really understand there's an education that comes with the product itself and how best to do that. Yep. So the next one is Sharper Sense. So this is really designed for um, again amazingly smart team, neuromodular um, team that's looking at how do you improve the performance and minimize mistakes for athletes through um, perceptible ability improvement. So this ability to kind of have better awareness and reaction time, and it's through this non evasive patch that that helps um, to do that. So all that sensory information that you're taking in, um, your body and your reaction time is is that much sharper. And we have them paired with Troy Taylor, as you know, head of sports performance for USA Ski and Snowboard, Troy has done a lot in terms of visual simulation um, testing of athletes there as well, just to make sure that reaction time, all of those things are so critical. Uh, and so we think that's a really exciting pairing. What's really come out of this that's been interesting is that's also got a really interesting play too in esports, mm. or gaming, in in, in general. Yeah. And what they're learning too of like uh, the different types of of sensory input that you've got to have in a game so in some of these combat games it's really like being able to perceive and hear the footprint or the footsteps within the game and the reaction time of that so the applicability of this is pretty huge
1: yeah definitely that's really interesting space around that and interesting you mentioned esports because that's a i think the mental training the athletic high performance training for esports is, is something that's going to um, continue to grow and and i might mention um state space we had uh, a guest um on there i he's going to kill me because i've forgotten his name andrew i think it is so he's uh so he coming from an nfl background in high performance you know working with the san francisco 49ers uh working with 300 400 pound gorillas of men uh <laughs> these linebackers and then going and working in esports and going well it's elite performance it's just uh it's just Different, you know, different muscles or slightly different skills, but certainly things like reaction times um, and that mental side of it uh, is is a common thread through any kind of level of elite performance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and for us, esports as a business, we've got to kind of get to understand that a little bit more because it's look, it's digital first from the beginning. Um, we know that kids who play sports become fans for life, and more and more, if we haven't hit the inflection point, we will soon, where there's going to be more of our kids are playing um, esports and gaming than they are traditional sports, and so that's important for us to really understand that space and add value there too.
1: Definitely.
0: And the next one, Stream Recap, is actually also within the esports space. So they um, they are building video solutions specifically targeted at leads, um, leagues, and teams across all of esports to focus on instant, automatic highlights and coaching tools. So again, I talked about the youth sport aspect of it. Um, it's the same thing in terms of um, of you talked about it. It's you. In traditional sports, and uh, equally so in esports, you got to continually sort of analyze your play, your strategy, mm-hmm. your performance. Well, you've got all of this content and footage. How do you really create this sort of robot-driven way of extracting what are those coachable moments from all of that? And they recently just announced a, a pretty big deal with Riot Games for their collegiate series there, as well as the as the partner providing those. Automated highlights and coaching tools. Right. Yeah, and we've got we've got them paired up with Will McIntosh, who's the EVP of Digital and Sports Consumer Business for NBC Sports. I, um, I recall back when we were going through, I talked to you about the selections process and interviewing and talking with the founders and asking all the questions. Um, after they get off, we, you know, we fill out our dynamic forms before we talk collectively, so there's no groupthink. But Will chimed in pretty quickly and said, "I think I've learned more in that last twenty-minute discussion about esports than I had I'd known it up till now." So we're excited to be working with that team. Fantastic! Yeah. So the next is a sonar company. So um, also a really interesting one. So they're using proprietary ultrasonic tone technology to be able to transmit um, information in places where internet might not be reliable or there may not be proper Wi-Fi, And so this has so many applicable um, use cases for us. Uh, we've got them right now paired with, um, again, Sam Ebb from um, our Comcast Spectacle team because of the way that their technology can, can um, relay information when you're in the stadium. So we're, um, but you could equally do interesting use cases around that too, even in the living room if that. Cause it's a, it's a tone you're not gonna hear but if it's even through the live broadcast it can trigger um, you know, notifications and things like that that encourage you to use like the NBC Sports predictor app and you know, place bets and things like that. So it, it unlocks different ways for us to communicate with um, a wide spectrum of, of fans.
1: So it's a super high tech dog whistle.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, be, be that yeah.
0: might be their tagline. We should remember uh, yeah,
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna I want to cut. I want my pace. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're smart. Um, and then the the last um, to roll out the 10 is XIQ. So they have developed this incredible smart device. It replaces the conventional key ignition on most non-automotive vehicles. So think things like golf carts um, to enable security, touchless but it's really at the end of the day about fleet IoT and management. So um, if you look again at like a sport like NASCAR, those properties are massive. Um, And the management of all of those golf carts as you're taking VIP guests all over the property and all of those things, you know, managing the security of it, much less the keys of it, is a little bit of a logistical nightmare. Mm -hmm. And so that is a huge, um, we have them paired up with Craig Neve, who's chief innovation officer for NASCAR. Um, What's equally um, exciting on that as well is if you look at our golf business, so um, we have a a digital property called golf now if you're not familiar it's, um, it allows you to book tee times um, and for I think it's 9000 plus golf courses around the world. But more than just the booking of tea times, it also, they have an entire team that's created this tech marketplace. And they go in and they work with golf course property owners to help them manage their operations. And it could be anything from reducing their operating costs on, for food and beverage. So, you know, buy your fertilizer and your, your hot dogs, um, those types of things, all the way to marketing and creating. Um, uh websites and things like that to drive more players to their golf course again to really monetize for them and for us those golf tee times but you could imagine a use case someday where you not only book your tee time but you have the cart waiting there you don't have to drop off you don't have to go and get the key you know, it's it's very um covid friendly right now in this yeah, pandemic.
1: yeah you don't have to come in you don't have to queue you don't have to wait you know you just go you rock up because also, I mean, in terms of efficiency for golf courses, be able to get more players through and therefore impact their bottom line. Um, if they can streamline that process, you're going to be getting more rounds in. Um, and over the course of a year, that's going to be quite an impact on revenue.
0: Absolutely. And even just sort of reimagining golf in general, um, it is a time intensive. You know, If you're going to do 18 holes, that's four hours. But I think one of the interesting things um, that they're starting to explore with um, some of the more progressive golf course property owners is maybe somebody just wants to play three holes or six yeah. holes or you know those types of that. I wanna dynamically pop in here and, and play on my way home from work and I can get a couple in. It just makes the sport more uh, accessible. And again, you're, you're making sure that that entire golf course is bringing in as many players as, as possible.
1: Mm. I mean golf technology coming into golf is, is a fascinating fascinating area we've got um, the CTO of top golf coming up in a few weeks um, so interesting in the innovations that are happening kind of across the market I think it's one of those things that all of the properties are reflecting that you know, technology isn't something to be afraid of anymore it's it's needs to be inherent in how it takes the sport forwards
0: absolutely and if you look at at um, our golf team in general, just on the digital side of it, I think they've done something like 20 different acquisitions. Um, one of our fireside chats to close out week one of the program with our founders was actually with Mike McCarley, president of golf channel, as well as Justin Tupper, who, um, now leads strategy, um, and operations, but prior to that had started golf revolution, um, in his living room, creating these, instructional DVDs um, to help people improve their golf, um, their golf game. Well, they went on to acquire that and bring it into the business, bringing in 2 million additional sort of digital subscribers in, into their golf pass, which is all about, you know, watch, play, go, buy, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the entire lifestyle around golf.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, that's, that's so interesting. That, that's all the companies um, I take it for the inaugural couple. Awesome. Yeah, and so, so just some kind of final details on on they're already off off cooking cooking away and obviously have those incredible mentors. I mean, yeah. the level of access is, is incredible across the organisation and that's really good to see that something like this, when I see new accelerators, especially in a kind of crowded market, it's like are you doing it because you really do believe in, in, in innovation and accelerating, you know, what it says—an accelerator, accelerating technology, accelerating adoption, accelerating innovation—or is it just a purely a marketing stunt? Um, and I think by the the quality of mentors that you've got and the access that I've got, it's certainly um, it's certainly the former, where it's it's actually something meaningful in the industry. So, congratulations on that. And and when so when are they um, when are they through the the actual intensive part of the accelerator, and and then how will they be kind of engaged beyond that.
0: Well, um, I'll back up even before um, to make another point, which is important here, which is we make an investment and we take an equity position in each of the 10 companies. So if you look at the the, um, the 10 founders I talked through, that class spans technology and apparel and performance categories, but it also means we've got skin in the game. So yeah. their success is our success. So again, it goes back to your point about it is a real strategic um, investment that um, needs to bring value back into our business and our organization. Uh, but we actually didn't wait until the um, February 22nd, which was officially when we kicked off, uh, because we was as we go through that process, we were doing strategy sessions with them. And actually four of the companies participated in a video business immersion. So we took them deep on a customer discovery, uh, um, the importance of video to the strategy of our business, our products, our technology, how we use that to attract different customer segments, went really deep on our X1 tech stack and all of that and challenged them, knowing what you now know about our business, how might your technology create unique and differentiated experiences that live on top of the live sports to bring fans closer? And so I think it was last week, so um, uh, week two um, of the program, they actually came back to our sales or our um, senior leaders, and they presented out their ideas. And that's really to unlock pilots and proof of concepts, mm-hmm. um, so that we can really test integrating it into our business, in the program and beyond the program as well. Um, but as a whole, what they're getting above and beyond those those sports partner advisors. And and I also talked about external uh, startup experts who have been there and done that before. They're getting a lot of custom um, workshops on fundraising and sales and and marketing and branding and product market fit. Um, I'm proud to say we we did weave in a whole lot around mental health too, because Mm -hmm. um, that, the rigor of the journey of, of, an entrepreneur, it has some real highs and lows in there um, and making sure that that's a mindful thing as much as it is for an athlete to have the same mental health um, and preparedness for, you know, that grit and resiliency it takes. And, um, and so we're really uh, focused on that intentional program so that we are helping them build those insights and those learnings into creating a highly successful business.
1: Yep. Great. And um, I think that's probably all, all the time we've got for it. It's been, yeah, it's been great discussion. Um, final question. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time?
0: I was trying to prepare for this because I know that this is your closeout question and it's, um, and it's, it's influenced by two things. So oh, one, so I, I was a, a College athlete. I ran for Baylor University. Um, yep. it was bears, I've
1: been up in Waco. I was yeah. I was going to exactly,
0: bring that up. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So I was there for Coach Hart, um, who you know trained Michael Johnson and Jeremy Warner throughout their careers. He always said he would recruit for good citizens first, great athletes second. Michael Johnson was actually our assistant coach for some of the years that I was there. So just being able to watch him on the track, um, and his dedication to the sport. I mean, I don't think anyone was more confident when he stepped on the line, he could look to the right or left and know he had earned that race. So, you know, watching him in the gold shoes, Atlanta games, that is just that personal connection back to him. And um, that's a huge one, but also uh, we had the privilege of being at um, the FIFA World Cup um, back in 2015 when um, US uh, soccer team won and to see our little daughter with her, her little, you know, foam thumbs um, chanting USA at age three, and seeing what that sport has done for um, advocating for equality for female athletes, I think is just a really inspiring thing. So I can't pick between the two. Yeah, okay.
1: well, that's that's good. And I, I mean, the, the the second one um, with the the US women's national team in you um, know soccer, the round football, the round ball game. Um, I mean, one of the, the stats I love to quote around that is that the the US women's national team jersey was the highest selling soccer jersey in the US when it happened. It, it eclipsed the men's team. It eclipsed, you know, all the international teams, Man United, Real Madrid, whoever else, all of the MLS teams, um, which was incredible. Like, to just show that, well, women's sport isn't some charity basket case. It's like a, it's apart from all the warm and fuzzy feelings we we get and, you know, is a, As a daughter that's growing up. It's also just an an incredible business and they're incredibly good at what they do. So it's kind of like understanding that it's um, yeah, it's cool and it's, it's growing and yeah, it's really cool to watch, especially in the U S so yeah, I I connect with that one as well. So thank you so much um, for your time, Jenna. It's been uh, really good to to chat and kind of dive deeper into some of those cohort companies. Uh, We'll be sure to keep, watching what they're doing obviously looking forward to the olympics um and you know in a crazy time and, and good to see it's going ahead and um yeah just just enjoying that for what will hopefully be a i guess a over the over the summit of what was 2020 and covid and, and that'll be something a highlight to look forward to
0: absolutely well thank you i appreciate the time thomas and for, for your listeners to hopefully you get intrigued by the journey of our founders through the program and and tune in for demo day, um, May 26th, just to see all that they've accomplished.
1: Yeah, um, and really so uh, comcastsportstech.com if you want to find out more about them as well.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate the time.
1: There you have it. That was Jenna Kuroth, Vice President of Startup Partner Development Head of Sports Tech at Comcast. As I said at the beginning, I think they're as an accelerator, I think they're going to really genuinely make an impact in the industry. I I think that um, sometimes there can be accelerator for the sake of accelerator or innovation exercise for the sake of innovation exercise. And I I don't think that's the case here considering the depth and kind of breadth that Comcast NBC Universal have in sports and also the way that they've gone about choosing their partners. So really excited to see what the cohort companies do and for the program and looking forward to having you join us again next time on Sports Tech Feed. (laughs)